Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. Today, I get to sit down with Noreen Allen. Noreen is the CMO at Bandwidth Inc. And she joined there over 10 years ago, believing in the total addressable market of this company. We talk a lot about that today because she's been through true hyper growth. This company is now doing almost 500 million of annual revenue. And through that, she got to guide them through an IPO. And we talk about the role of a CMO during that process, talking to analysts, defining the market, not just growing the business, but showing where the business can grow to and creating that belief that this brand can become the behemoth it is today. And that's a real lesson for all of us. Now we don't stop there. In the second half of our chat today, you'll hear us talk about how she's reshaped her marketing organization. So going from organizing how you go to market at the executive level to how you operate that marketing team. And she's done so in a very unique way. I don't want to get too into the weeds right now, but she's broken it up in a way that allows her to address the different personas that they address in the market. A very different structure than we're used to with the typical functional areas. This is a great episode. Tune in my chat now with Noreen Allen. Noreen, I'm very excited to chat with you. You have had an amazing 10-year run with Bandwidth. And I'm curious, you know, jumping into that CMO role, did you envision that this was the company that you would scale with to this degree? It, you know, it, it was. It would have been hard to imagine when I joined almost 10 years ago that, that I'd still be here almost 10 years later and that we would have grown quite to this to this level that we are today. So... Um, so no, no, it's um, it's it, it was hard to imagine back then. I, I definitely saw the potential for the business and for the category. I was super bullish on it, but but yeah, hard to imagine that ten years ago. So I'm curious because you, I mean, for people listening, I mean, the bandwidth is a massive public company that powers some amazing apps that you probably don't realize right now. Uh, you know, solutions like, you know, your Uber conversations that you have on that app. So it's a pretty cool product. And the the team alone is scaled from three to 55 marketers that you oversee over that time. And you're now like 500 million in, in revenue per year. I mean, this is a massive organization. So I'm wondering when when they pitched you or they sought after you, what do you think it was that you had accomplished to date that gave them the confidence that you were an IPO bound CMO? So before bandwidth, I I was with four other tech companies over the years, and and they were all growth tech companies that were at various stages, maybe completed a B round, a C round, but but had their eye on on much bigger growth. One of the the first company I was with went public, grew quite a bit internationally, raised a bunch of money, did lots of consolidation, um, and then the next couple of companies I I went to did the same thing. Lots of M&A activity, lots of fundraising, prepping for IPO. And so I had that skill set from the, the prior roles. But I think also that mix of kind of the two sides of marketing, the positioning side and, and also the building the demand gen engine, building that predictable 
revenue engine for the business. And so I, I think that's what led the folks at Bandwidth to reach out initially. It was kind of the, I had been through the experience before of scaling a business and, and crossing the finish line of taking the company public, global expansion, M&A activity, um, and, and kind of that blend of, of the positioning side and, and the revenue engine side. So, I mean, as you hit on that, I, I think a lot of marketers are probably curious what that experience is like crossing that threshold of IPO. And there's a lot of different ways to get there. You listed some of the ingredients like acquisitions, you know, true revenue scale through the brand and demand itself. What was the recipe that, that worked for you this time in terms of getting there? Because it took, I, I guess, only about three years or five years, roughly, from yeah. the time you joined. Years. Yeah. You know, so, so first it really starts with, and I think as marketers, if you have interest in being with a company that, that has that potential, it, it starts with really looking at, is there a product market fit? It, does this company have a product that is differentiated enough where you're going to be able to connect that product and that company to a growing market? Because investors want to invest in a company that has a lot of potential and, and is going to return for them. So, um, so that piece is really big. And, and I think you have to make sure that exists before you join the business. And that part can be tough because sometimes I think we get sort of lured in by this sexy software and, oh, this is this really cool software and, and everybody seems to really like it. But if you're in a, an incredibly crowded category, you're not able to differentiate or it's a category that has lots of consolidation happening, um, maybe commoditization happening, you know, various different things. You, you want to make sure on the front end that, that the product market fit is there. And so, so for me at Bandwidth, that was there. I knew there was potential for our product. Um, but the next big thing for me was getting out and telling the world our story. We, when I first joined Bandwidth, we had a, a bunch of different lines of business and we were very misunderstood by all audiences. And that includes investors, you know, customers, I think weren't, weren't quite sure what the, that unique value prop was for us. Investors that we would talk to didn't completely understand it. And so I think really spending the time to um, get out and educate the market on how you fit within this broader market and, and showing that you're connected to this growing category. We took Bandwidth Public in November of 2017, but the work that I did to prep for that started about two years prior. The work initially was really around the positioning and really taking the time to look at this the category that we were in, um, which is called Communications Platform as a Service. And we did a lot of work with research analysts the Gartners and IDCs of the world, Frost and Sullivan, um, Forrester, and then some small boutique analyst firms. I spent a lot of time focusing in on what the investor audience, the investment banks and different investors, what they pay attention to. I'd look at the reports from these investment banks to look at who are they quoting. And, and oftentimes they're quoting the big firms, but a lot of times you'd notice these small niche analysts in there as well. So kind of made that list of who are these analysts, these research analysts that I've got to get in front of. And we spent a lot of time with them, educating them about our position within the market and getting them to realize that this CPAS market that we're in, they had kind of defined it as this box. And we spent time defining, ed, educating them and, and getting them to realize that 
this market's actually bigger than what you think. And there's this other category over here within CPaaS called enterprise grade CPaaS. And bandwidth is uniquely positioned to really capture that market. We're talking about months and months of spending time with these analysts, taking them through the pitch, getting their feedback, refining the pitch, setting them up with customers to talk to customers, branding various aspects of our service, working with them on commissioned pieces to support our position within the industry. We did that work first. And then when those folks really understood our position within the market, then you started to see industry trade press talking about it. Then you started to see at the industry trade shows, they're featuring panels on enterprise or business grade CPaaS. It made it a lot easier when we started having the conversations with the big investment banks in the several months before the IPO, as they were thinking about the potential for bandwidth and can we take this company public? Is this going to work? Having that validation from the research analysts made all the difference. Interesting. It's, you know, the, the part that's catching my attention there is I think a lot of marketers and a lot of business operators, when we think of that path to IPO, the number one thing we focus on for good reason is high growth, right? Are you actually growing year over year? But I think what you're bringing up to the forefront is that slide in any deck, which is the, the TAM, the total addressable market. And a lot of us kind of glaze over that because we're like, well, we just got to find some sort of big industry number. You at this point actually had to define it to ensure that you could live up to that eventual TAM. Is that a good way to put this? It, it is. It is. Yeah, that was, that was a, a big part of it was making sure that the investors understood what the TAM was and they understood how and why bandwidth was so well positioned to capture a big piece of this market. Yeah. Can I just ask a follow-up question there just quick? Because I'm so intrigued. I mean, you're describing all this work that you're doing with analysts and, and jumping on these calls to prep, ultimately to pitch to these investors in the market. So the role of the CMO at that stage, is it being at the forefront of those conversations alongside your CEO? Is it arming the, your CEO to go and do that? Where does that handoff happen? in terms of the research and the prep versus the actual charge to the market, if you will? Yeah. So the conversations with the research analysts, um, I led those conversations. I led those conversations and would pull folks in that were from our product org. I'd bring in subject matter experts on various things. Our COO at the time, I would pull in for some of those conversations. When it got time for the conversations with the investment bankers and with the financial analysts, then our, CF, our CEO started taking that on. But all of the work leading up to it with the research analysts and the work with other influencers within the industry, I led that part. That's really fascinating. Well, listen, we're, we're chatting a lot here, Noreen, about you know, the role of the CMO within the executive suite. We're going to take a short break here, and I want to chat a little bit more about how you're thinking about your actual marketing team on the next segment of The Marketer's Journey. Stay tuned. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content 
faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. The area Noreen and I are talking about is all about total addressable market. And we hear this term or TAM all the time as marketers. And often we're sitting there trying to plan our upcoming year to understand the TAM that we can grow into. But what Noreen's looking at is really the TAM of our business offering in the long term. And this is so important when you hear the discussions around long-term business success, the path to an IPO. The path as Chandar talked about recently on a previous episode to being a mega brand. These are the things that we have to look at to really define what we can do today and where we need to expand our business and focus. Noreen, I gotta tell you, my marketing team has had some turnover in the last year and, and I'm always trying to think of the right marketing org. Now, my team's under 20 people on the marketing side. Yours is over 55. I'm sure that there's so many permutations. How are you doing it these days? It's changed a lot. It's changed a lot in, in recent years and we're always looking to kind of fine tune and evolve the org based on what's going to make us most effective as a team in terms of um, meeting our goals, which are, are really all around driving revenue for the business. But also the other dimension I always look at is what's the right org structure to create opportunities for the people on my team, to create development opportunities for the people on my team to take on more, to grow and expand within their own careers. Um, looking at those two dimensions, we, we made a shift earlier this year that is working really well so far. We moved from kind of a traditional functional org structure where we had all of your sort of usual marketing functions. We had a product marketing team, a programs team, which is like field marketing. Um, we had a brand team, marketing ops and analytics and a, and a demand gen team. We shifted that about mid-year this year to a structure where we now have three full stack marketing teams that are focused on our buyer segments. As an example, one of our buyer segments is the Fortune 1000 Enterprise, selling into the Fortune 1000 Enterprise, selling into the CIO's org of Fortune 1000 Enterprise. And this full stack team is led by one person. And then we have product marketing folks under that person. We have marketing programs, field marketing, ABM. We have integrated marketing, which is really like campaigns and strategy. We have content, we have design, and we have an analyst. And so that way, having that full stack team focused on the enterprise buyer, now you have that entire unit that's able to really go deep on that Fortune 1000 company and that buyer and really think about what motivates them. You know, what are all the, the attributes of this buyer persona? Who am I competing against within this segment? What are the broader dynamics that are impacting this segment? And it's been really cool to see the benefit of having people focus like that. Because previously, what, what happened was 
my marketing programs team or my writers, every day we're having to contact shift all day long. Right now, I can imagine that it's it's tricky. It it is. It's a really interesting model. I, I'm I'm sitting here thinking about so many pros that I can already envision. I mean, the opportunity to move almost organizations while staying at bandwidth by going from one of these teams to the next down the road, as you kind of alluded to in terms of of map. But let's focus on some of the risks, which I'm sure you're just starting to uncover. But one that I'm trying to figure out that you hit on is content. Now, in one way, it makes perfect sense, as you said, focus on the buyer, write for that buyer. Are you managing to create collaboration when there's content that will work for all three segments? Do you have those types of assets? And how do you bring teams together around that joint, bigger mission and vision? Great question. Great. And that's definitely something that's come up. So we have these three teams. Then we have a revenue marketing team that owns all all the performance channels and, and marketing ops analytics and some of the activation channels. And then we have a fifth team that is brand and communications. The brand and communications team handles anything that, that works across the whole org. So they handle the overall company positioning. And like if we're doing a, a new homepage, for example, they would work on the messaging and positioning for the new homepage because it hits all three segments. Mm-hmm. So they collaborate really closely with the writers and the integrated marketing folks on each of the three teams. So there's this really nice collaboration and idea sharing and all of that that's happening, but it's that one centralized brand and communications team that's taken the lead on the things that span the whole the whole company. That's really interesting. So just understanding where you draw the line between that brand and communications and some of the content would would a strategy like social amplification live more in the branding communications because otherwise how do you have three groups am i understanding this right you are 100 percent, and and yes social lives there social lives there so if someone on our SaaS team for example has interest in doing a social campaign they would engage with the social person who lives in branded communications to put that campaign together to make sure we're not running all over each other and we don't have an inconsistent presence on social so they engage, they engage with that person. Gotcha. So I, I'm thinking of social as a channel and I'm trying to figure out what channels live within these teams versus live at this branding communication. So take email as an example. Is there a risk that I, you know, let's say I was one of your, your three segments. How does the team understand which segment is going to send an email nurture to me and own that? Or can I cross over and sign up for multiple levels of interest? Yes. So another great question. So email and all of our activation channels live on our revenue marketing team. So we've got all you know, website, all of our paid channels, email. We have events and partnerships there. Um, so so all of the activation channels live. Everything else lives within that revenue marketing team. So with the email example. We're really working hard to segment our database, and this is on this is still underway, but segmenting our database and then segmenting leads as they come in into one of the three buyer persona buckets so that we won't have as much of that overlap. Now, if there's someone that comes into our site and it raises their hand and it's not clear where they fit, we have like a, a generic welcome nurture track. 
that we would put them into. And then as they signal with their behavior online that they they are interested in a certain area, then they get routed into one of the three tracks for one of the three segments. And so with email, then then the other piece of this is with any campaigns that we're doing and just with you know email programs in general or even like events. We do a lot of events between trade shows and custom hospitality and, and all of that. And the three segment teams go to that events team or to that email team with their requests of, here's what I want to do over the next couple of quarters. And then that team will plan against that and will prioritize the activities across the three segments. So right now, we don't have a dedicated email person for each segment, for example, and we don't have a dedicated events person. And the reason is that the events and email tend to like, Right now, for example, we have a lot of events happening for one segment. And so we want to make sure that we have a strong bench of folks on the events team that can support the various segments as the needs kind of ebb and flow. We may get to a point where we discover that we need to have dedicated people for some of those other areas for each one of the segments. And we're watching that closely to see, do we need that? Or does it make more sense to have kind of a pool of folks that that can help out? So um, so we're watching that, but but you're you're calling out some things that yeah no it's it's very interesting. I mean I've got a million other questions, but we probably only have a couple minutes here. How has the team responded to this? You said it's it's only been implemented early this year. I'm sure that there's elements where it allows teams to have more of an identity versus a Zoom call with 55 people. It's hard to speak in those situations. Absolutely. So they have responded really really well, and I'll give you a couple of examples. So. I've had folks on my team, like I have a fantastic head of product marketing and, and she's so strong on the product marketing side, has really dominated that, but she's now one of our segment leaders. So she's expanded beyond product marketing and she's now leading marketing programs and integrated marketing and she's interfacing a lot more with all the activation channel owners and really leading things and creating the whole go-to-market plan for the segment really influencing roadmap for that segment, getting a lot more involved with customers. And so for her, it's an it's a fantastic opportunity to really expand her skill set and go a lot deeper. I have other folks on the team that were more junior that maybe spent a couple of years in a marketing programs role or or a product marketing role. And this is now allowing them to work a lot more closely with like a programs person working a lot more closely with product marketing folks and having a chance to work with product and really expand their skill set. But the biggest thing for everyone, the biggest benefit has been the ability for people to really focus and do great work. I think all of us as marketers can identify with that feeling of like, we always have so much on our plates. We're always so overworked. And you know, you have this giant list of stuff you're trying to accomplish every week. And there are always items you can't get to. And there are always items that you feel like, ah, oh, man, I. I kind of, I got it done, but it feels like it was a bit half-assed or not not as good as it could have been. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And so the chance to actually focus and work against this comprehensive go-to-market plan for that segment, to be sitting on customer calls, to, to play such a key role with product and sales, and to kind of cross-train in the other functions of marketing, it's it's been really cool to see folks get to to settle in and feel like they can really do good work but also really expand their skill set. I've got a lot of folks on my team 
that have aspirations to be a CMO one day. And I always say to them, look, I want to help you get, get to my job. I want you to have my job someday. But you're not going to get there if you just stay in this same comfy, cozy role that you've had for a while. You know, if you're in marketing programs and you've been doing that for two or three years, you're not going to get to a CMO role by just staying there. You got to move into something else. You got to move into that new territory that maybe makes you a little uncomfortable. And a lot of times, like people didn't have that opportunity unless they left the company. And so now this new structure gives us that that opportunity to offer that to employees. And so so that part's been really cool. That's awesome. You know, you're already teasing to one, one of my rapid fire questions, and we're going to get to those right after a short last break here on The Marketer's Journey. So I got to say, there's two reasons why I'm absolutely loving this conversation with Noreen. First, if you remember back to our first chat, it was all about how you operate as a CMO at the executive level. This is how you operate as a CMO for your marketing team, thinking about their future, thinking about their career. And this idea of creating different team structures that go after personas really helps develop this idea of that T-shaped marketer that we've heard other CMOs talk about before. The ability to go deep on an area, but really spread your wings. And I think this model really provides that as you hear her talk about people who have risen from product marketing or other disciplines, but now have to think beyond that scope of specialization to really be a full stack marketer. All right, Noreen, we've unpacked the career journey that you've had, a little bit about the buyer journey and the type of marketing team you've got. Now I'm going to ask you that first rapid fire question, which you're going to laugh at because I think I already know your answer. But the question is, as you guide up and coming marketers, do you think they should be more of a specialist or a generalist when it comes to their marketing? So I think I think folks can start as a specialist, but I think if they evolve into that generalist, I think they're more valuable, more valuable. I think it's more fun as a marketer, but I think that longer term, you're more valuable when you have done stints in, in different parts of marketing. Absolutely. No, I agree with you. And I, I think the model you provided really, really is that T-shaped marketer that we always hear about, but an opportunity to do it and spread your wings. All right. My next question for you here, what's one thing you wish marketers would do more of on a daily basis? Talk to sales, talk to sales, sit in on customer calls. I think too often folks in marketing are disjointed from sales and, and they think they know, they think they know what's actually happening um, in the minds of their buyers, but there's no better way than to actually sit in the room or sit on a Zoom call and listen, listen to how the message is being received, listen to the kinds of questions that they're asking. So yeah, that'd be my big piece of advice. It's something we do a lot of at bandwidth and we have a fantastic relationship with the sales team. I think it's because we spend so much time on it and we have this great focus on, on revenue. That's great. So we glazed on, on the idea of the importance of content and you've got a great strategy to break up that content by these different business units. When you think of the best content sent to you, whatever a few words that you just come to mind with. Gosh, Let's see. The best content sent to me, it's the non-salesy content, but but things that are really that that connect with 
pain points that I've got, whether it's something around how to build pipeline or how to accelerate pipeline or create urgency in the mind of a buyer. I don't like just the sort of heavy hitting sales pitchy kind of content. I tend to respond best to things that really connect to a pain point that I have and and are clearly going to give me some, give me some value, give me some ideas that I can be thinking about. Nice. I like it. Lead with pain and then uh, give those vitamins. All right. Last one uh, for you before we get to our, our always closing question. But, you know, you've, you've had this 10 year journey with bandwidth. And if you look back on the biggest key to your success at, along the way, how do you look back and say, because I did this, I've been successful? I think I've approached things over the years. Um, just I have never wanted to stop learning. I, I just the various seasons we've been through at bandwidth, whether it was prepping for the IPO, international expansion, um, whatever the season, just paying attention to the other companies around me. I've, I've often said one of the coolest parts of marketing is the fact that the world is our classroom. You can get so many incredible ideas from other companies and they're right there in front of you, looking at their website, looking at the way they engage on social, the way they engage through nurture. Um, just paying attention to listening to podcasts like this. I listen to this podcast all the time to just get ideas from other great marketers. And so I think what's worked for me is I've, I've never gotten into that coast mode of just sort of settling and relying on the same plays. I'm always wanting to learn more, learn what's worked somewhere else, reinvent, try to get things, try to make things better. I think that's been a big part of what's worked for me personally. That's great advice. Now, you talk about always learning and always focusing on the business in that next step, but how do you take a break from the business? And specifically, where where's that next break going to be now that, you know, I think we can travel soon if we aren't already? Definitely. So I love travel, love travel. Currently, I'm trying to figure out how I can catch one of the um, Rolling Stones concerts. They're not coming through Raleigh, but would love to catch one of those. But also big into wine and exploring different wine regions and have hit some really cool ones around the world. Um, would love to hit South America, particularly um, Argentina, and and hit some some of the wine regions there. So so that that would be the next break. And and I'm fortunate to work at a place where we we do a lot to make sure our employees can have balance. And so we really encourage folks taking vacations, having them unplug on their vacations. Um, so. For the first time in my career, I take lots of vacations and I just got back from one a couple weeks ago and I'm always encouraged to do that. So, so that's a big part of why I've been at Bandwidth for 10 years. That, that part has been really nice. The, uh, some great advice, Noreen, across all different aspects of your journey. I thank you so much for sharing. If people want to learn more, they can go, uh, you know, just check out Bandwidth Inc. Best way to, to find it and, and learn a little bit more about the company. Uh, this has been a great opportunity to learn a different perspective, as I said, and everyone's got a different journey. So one day I hope everyone tuning in will be able to share theirs on this podcast or in other ways. Until next time, thanks a lot to me. You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify at uberflip.com slash podcast or anywhere you listen to podcasts. 